this morning is from Matthew chapter 7. Just a couple of verses. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And I'll uh, give you some context for this in the course of the message. Why don't we stand for a moment? When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, today we come to the last of our series of six sermons that we've built around the acronym CHRIST, C-H-R-I-S-T. And I had to make a decision this week. I had started this series on October the 17th so that it would wrap up last week's Sunday. We could start this Sunday with the first sermon in our Advent, our Christmas series. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, the executive director of our Baptist conference, Rob McClelland, was here. And so that pushed everything by a week. And so I had to make a decision this week. Should I just go ahead with the Advent season and leave out the T from our Christ series? Now, I like Chris, <laughs> but I thought maybe we should be better off just finishing what we were doing. Uh, and I didn't want to add any confusion by preaching the acronym Chris, only to start this morning by saying, today's the first Sunday of Christmas. So, so today we'll finish our series on Christ. Next week, uh, we're going to look at a less familiar Christmas text from Revelation chapter 12 where the curtain is pulled back and we get to see what is going on behind the manger scene. Did you know that other than sheep, the only animal mentioned in the Bible in connection with the birth of Jesus is a dragon? Not, a cat, not cattle, not a donkey, a dragon. So that's next week. And after that, we're going to look at the life of Christ by moving through the Gospel of Luke, beginning, of course, with the Christmas narrative in the first couple of chapters. Uh, but today we consider Christ as teacher. Now, lest we think that teacher sounds a little less compelling than Christ as creator or hero or son of God, notice how people responded to Jesus as a teacher. After teaching his Sermon on the Mount, we read these words from our text today. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. That was near the beginning of his ministry. At the other end of his ministry, just days from his crucifixion, the crowds were still astonished at his teaching. People were consistently compelled by Jesus as a teacher, coming by the thousands sometimes to hear him. And the reason that they gave for that was that he spoke with an authority markedly different from that of the authority of the professional teachers of the law. What is this, they said, a new teaching and with authority. And again, from our text today, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. I'm going to move over here, Frank, if that's okay. On one occasion, the, uh, the Pharisees had sent officers to arrest Jesus. But the officers returned without Jesus, and when the Pharisees asked them why, they said, no one ever spoke like this man. 
And this week, my wife pointed out something that I'd never noticed before. After Jesus' resurrection, when Mary Magdalene sees him for the first time, she doesn't say, Jesus, or Lord, or Master. She says, Teacher. Jesus' ministry as a teacher was not just the dry part of his ministry, the boring stuff that he did between raising the dead and calming storms and healing lepers and casting out demons. Teaching was integral to what he did. And he taught with power, compellingly. And his teaching so alarmed the religious leaders that they felt they had no other options except to have him killed. Now, it's hard to say exactly why people flocked to hear him teach. It wasn't necessarily because Jesus made things simple and clear, because he didn't. He often taught in parables, and when his disciples asked him about that, he said, Well, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. In other words, he told parables because he didn't want the truth to be simple and clear that everybody would get it. People didn't flock to hear him teach because he told them what they wanted to hear. On one occasion, most of the crowd of his disciples abandoned him en masse because they didn't like his teaching. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. People didn't flock to hear Jesus teach because he inspired them or because he was a positive motivational speaker. There's a great temptation in our day to think that the gentle, loving Jesus is of a very different flavor than the God in the Old Testament. But the severest words in the New Testament, the severest words of judgment, come to us, actually, from the lips of Jesus. And John Wenham, in his fantastic book, The Goodness of God, which I will lend to you if you want to read, said this. Jesus uttered the most terrible warnings, not once or twice, but again and again. Speaking with no trace of harshness and with a wealth of compassion and concern, he frequently spoke of judgment. He warned men of perdition and destruction, of the danger of losing their souls. Christ spoke of sins which would not be forgiven. He spoke often of hell. Frequently he spoke of fire in this connection. Sometimes he spoke of eternal fire or eternal punishment. He spoke of it as a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Sometimes he spoke of outer darkness. Sometimes he spoke of torment. To feel the full weight of his teaching, of this teaching of Christ, the relevant passages should be looked up and written out. To do this is to receive an awesome and indelible impression which remains with one for life. In sheer number, these statements are inescapable. In intensity, they are fearful. So Jesus didn't simplify things or make them clear. And if Jesus said many hard and severe things, rather than being uplifting all the time, why did people continue to be astonished at his teaching? Well, we've already said it. It's because he spoke with authority. Now, does this mean that he was generally a confident and authoritative speaker? Well, no. People speak with authority when they know their subject matter. We call such a person an authority on the subject. Well, what was the subject of Jesus' teaching? 
He spoke about all kinds of things. He talked of marriage, of relating to children. He spoke of prayer, of hell, religion. But the thing he spoke, oh, the thing he talked about more than anything else, you might be surprised to hear, was money and the need to beware of the hold of money on you. But all of these things were just aspects of his one great teaching. And what was that? His one great subject. The kingdom, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Mark carefully summarizes the message of Jesus. Luke and Matthew do this too. After John was put into prison, says Mark, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, that's the gospel, of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. When Jesus chose his disciples, he adopts a strategy to communicate his one message to everybody he could. Luke 8 says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he sent his disciples out to proclaim this one message. Luke 9, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. In his parables, Jesus repeatedly said, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like or can be compared to. And even after he rose from the dead, Acts chapter 1 verse 3, he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The gospel of Matthew has the word kingdom from Jesus' lips no fewer than 50 times. It was the center of what Jesus talked about. And in fact, if you read the Christmas accounts in the Gospel of Matthew, you notice that this idea of kingdom is the theme of that story. Jesus' lineage is traced through the kingly line of Israel. The wise men come and seek the king of the Jews. And Herod, whose Caesar-given title was the king of the Jews, fears for his own kingdom and ends up slaughtering the babies of Bethlehem to protect his own reign and rule. The kingdom. Jesus uniformly and consistently was teaching about the kingdom of God, and he spoke with authority when he did that. And here's the thing. His authority didn't just come from the fact that he was an authority on the subject matter of the kingdom. His authority in his teaching came from the fact that he was the king of this kingdom. His authority came from the fact that he was the king. It was a regal authority, not a teacher authority. And that's why Jesus said things, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, not just follow my teachings. That's why Christians have for a very long time made a big deal of the fact that Jesus didn't just show us the way. He said, I am the way. He didn't merely teach the truth. He said, I am the truth. He didn't show us a better way to live. He said, I am the life. And that's why God said of Jesus at his glorious transfiguration, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Not because he knows what he's talking about and you can trust what he says. But listen to him because he is the beloved Son of God, the Lord of heaven and of earth. And Christ as teacher cannot be separated from Christ as Lord. His authority as a teacher is his authority as Lord. 
And this sets the teaching of Jesus and our response to it in a whole new light. Underlying everything that Jesus ever said is not the idea of, here are some ways to live life more fully, even though that's true. But underlying all of Jesus' teaching is the reality that this is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. So, for example, after teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer, which includes the petition, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, Jesus adds, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. In other words, it's not just that by forgiving others, we free ourselves from bitterness, and so this is good for us, though that certainly is true. But that God's kingdom is characterized by the reality of forgiveness, and you either live in forgiveness or you don't. You live in unforgiveness. And so forgiveness of other people isn't just a good idea. It's not just healthy for us. It is obedience to Jesus. And to say, well, I'm just not ready to forgive is disobedience to Jesus, who is not just our teacher, but is our Lord. And all of Jesus' teachings can be framed this way. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It is not just an invitation. It's a call. It's a command. The New Testament nowhere speaks of the gospel of Jesus as an invitation for us to accept. But it does speak of obedience to the gospel. And when Jesus talked about welcoming children and giving to the needy and prayer and money and the purity of heart and not being anxious and taking up our crosses to follow him and loving one another, in all of these things, Jesus was saying, this is what living in my kingdom looks like. This is what citizens of my kingdom do. And that's what Jesus' birth and death is all about. This reality, the kingdom, Jesus' authority as Lord, as teacher, was the cause of Jesus' death. He was not crucified, as Douglas Adams said, for telling people to be nice to each other. He was crucified because he exercised divine authority that threatened the authority both of the religious leaders and of Rome. This idea of the kingdom and the authority of Jesus was the purpose of his death. Colossians 1 says of God that he has delivered us from the domain or rule or kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died for our forgiveness, but that forgiveness means living for a different Lord, living in a different kingdom. Now, from here, this sermon this morning could go any one of a hundred ways. We could follow any thread of Jesus' teaching and set it in the context of lordship. But let me instead proclaim to you Jesus' own words and call you to hear them, not only as the words of a teacher, but as the declaration of our Lord. What of this do you need to hear today? And I will read less than I intended, 
But consider this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But, says Jesus, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is an insult, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks of you. and Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Be careful not to do other acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. But when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body or what you will wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Those words from Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6. And it was after Jesus said these things that the people were astonished at his teaching. Because Jesus spoke these things, not just with the knowledge of a teacher, but with the authority of the king of the kingdom that he was calling them to be a part of. And I don't know if 
in sharing these things with you. If there's part of that that resonates particularly with you or there's a word of that that you think Jesus, my King, spoke that to me and for me this morning. But as we read the words of Jesus in our scripture reading whenever we read, let us remember that these are not just the words of the teacher, but the words of the Lord who calls us to live in his kingdom according to his words. I was going to read a lot more from Matthew 5 and 6 and chapter 7 and also John chapter 15. And so if you want to go and read that this week, and again, hear those words as the words of the Lord to you, you will be blessed by it and maybe challenged by it as well. And with that, we bring our series on, this particular series on Christ to a close. Christ as creator and hero and redeemer, as our intercessor, as the son of God, and as our teacher. And now we get to enter into the season in which we celebrate not just the birth of the baby, but the birth of this Christ that we've been focusing on for these weeks. As we do that, may you be blessed and filled with joy and with awe and with worship and with hope as we continue, in fact, to fix our eyes on the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, our teacher, your word to us is life itself. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes to us from the mouth of God. And your word comforts, it gives life, it refreshes. But they are words to live by, words that you, you call us to order our lives under. And Lord Jesus, we affirm you today as our Lord. And we commit ourselves to obedience to you. Not the dry, hard obedience of duty, but the obedience that flows out of adoration and love and of worship. And we are grateful that you have given us your words, that you have revealed God, that you've revealed what it means to belong to you and how to live accordingly, how to walk in life and not in death. And Jesus, we honor you that in your teaching, you reveal the very heart of God and your good dreams for us. And we receive them as such. In your name we pray. Amen.